uh, Maximilian Tumok, um, um, Miss at Misto. Uh, good to have you with us. How are you? Great to be here. Yeah, very good, very good. It's a Friday, so I can't complain. It is. It's definitely a Friday. But actually, you know, you're a CEO of a company, so I imagine that actually quite a few of your uh, weekends are still taken up with work, I would imagine. Well, it depends, right? I mean, like, to be fair, I try to be, uh, you know, uh, relatively efficient during the week, right? Um, and I do have two kids, so I will spend some time with them, yeah, but I do emails every now and then. I mean, like, and you never really stop thinking about uh, what's happening with the company. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, every now and then there's a push, you know, want to get a contract out or similar, then uh, yeah, I would uh, work quite a bit more on the weekend, but I try not to have it as a regular. And I imagine the kids are probably quite excited about Christmas as well coming up. So, well, I think the little one, she's six months. She doesn't yet um, know really what Christmas is, but the other one with three years old, yeah, he's, uh, he's very excited. He actually showed us the other night, um, like how he was putting the, the presents under the Christmas trees, putting all like, like his uh, uh, um, Duplo building blocks in like little boxes and saying like, ah, they're the presents, blah, very, very nice. Yeah, so they're yeah. very excited. Well, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very cool time of year. But um, actually, I mean, as, as it goes, it's been quite uh, a busy year for you guys. Um, I mean, uh, and I imagine it's a fairly successful one all in all. Yeah, definitely. Right. I mean, so essentially, I mean, we started the company only one and a half years ago. So certainly a lot more time uh, of this company has been in this year than in the year before. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, like in terms of progress, kind of like how, how we grew the team, uh, where we're now, uh, we raised our fundraising round at the end of last year in December. I mean, at that time, it was essentially like just, you know, a couple of co-founders. Um, and now we are, we're 12 people, um, really have product there. We're ISO certified, um, uh, have great customers. Um, so yeah, I mean, like a lot has changed. Oh, sorry. How, how much did you raise? So we raised uh, like a pre-seed round of half a million and we closed a three million seed round at the end of last year. So kind of like seven months into our journey. Um, to be fair, uh, the market changed quite significantly since then. So I think uh, uh, we were, well, I think we, we did well in terms of the timing. Uh, let's put it that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I, you know, one thing I kind of want to jump into, um, your background, right? You, um, be before this, what, what were you doing before, before you founded the company? So I was a consultant, so I was with McKinsey, was a project manager there. Um, I spent actually quite a couple of years at McKinsey, even though not all of them actually actively working. Um, so I started there in 2014, um, and then I worked there up until my MBA, which I did uh, 2017 to like 19 almost. Um, so it's like, you know, a typical like 18 month program, um, which was also sponsored by McKinsey, right? So they paid part of it. Um, and uh, yeah, and at the end of that, I, I came back to McKinsey for a while, roughly one and a half years up until April last year. And then three weeks later, we went to the notary and uh, we signed uh, the pre-seed for, for this company and, and, and got going, so to say. So I've got to ask, so I actually... Um... I started giving like quite a few talks to like students. I, I did one recently at University College London. And one of the Which questions- Which is where I studied. Yo, did you? Yeah. Oh, well, what did you study there? Uh, I did a bachelor in economics and statistics um, quite a long time ago. Um, maybe not the program I would choose. Uh, like in hindsight, it was an amazing experience for sure living in London. Um, but uh, yeah, I think like economics was maybe the perfect one for me, I think, far too less applicable, even though intellectually quite challenging, let's put it that way. I was going to say, you know, they're smart kids. 
um you know and I, i've got to say that i i gave a talk to the uh, blockchain and engineering society and there were quite a lot of like um, business students there as well and one thing they were asking about is how founding a company how building your own company compares to going into something like consultancy because they're very much pushed or encouraged going to the investment banking route they're going down the consultancy route and it's kind of like do they go to McKinsey or do they go and build their own McKinsey and I mean from your perspective has the knowledge you acquired working for McKinsey helped you with your startup or is it something you kind of think okay it was great to work for McKinsey but I kind of wish I just did this like 10 years ago well I think I mean like McKinsey for sure is probably one of the best starting places for any kind of career right I mean no matter yeah. whether you want to be an entrepreneur or not right yeah. um, so that is for sure the case right um, there's certainly a lot of super talented people that um, that might be like better suited to start a company directly I think in terms of what you learn within a consultancy firm or within investment banks these are skills that will stay uh, with uh, with you the rest of your life i mean like <laughs> it's kind of a little bit like the army right i mean you learn how to like work crazy hours you learn about like having amazing attention to detail you know to a certain extent um about like building relationships in an enterprise environment um so you learn a lot about finance or at least in my case in my case i also learned a lot about digital business so i think these are all skills that are that are relevant um to building a company um and some people have them intrinsically right to be fair if you for example are a, a very technologically gifted um uh, young kid right you might as well start building something and then take it from there and, and pick up these other skills on the way but most likely you will not have them yourself right so you will then need to complement yourself now you can argue that finding a business co-founder is easier than finding a tech a good technical one and that might be true but it's still something that you might not directly have so i think even for someone that's technical spending a time in a professional environment i'm not saying 10 years right um i'm sure. saying like oh one to two um is is very valuable right and in some cases it's just like eight months but you learn a lot of things that are very valued right i mean in my case we work with enterprise companies right and um these uh these customers are uh, expecting a level of professionalism um, that is very much in line with the kind of level of professionalism that any kind of consulting firm out there aspires to deliver, right? And of course, McKinsey, BCG, and Bain are very well known to do so. And um, and there's other smaller firms that, that deliver a similar client service, maybe not at that scale. Um, and so I think having these skills and having done it for a while certainly helps, right? But uh, yeah, that's my perspective, right? Um, yeah, I, I kind of, I mean, I, I say from my perspective, I kind of think... I try to give them like a balanced view on it. Um, I think it very much comes down to the individual. And I certainly don't think everyone should be going out there and rushing to start their own company. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. No, and I, I think that there is no perfect path. Like what I typically advise people, like, so I had a lot of uh, interns so far with Mr. for example, and to be fair, uh, actually amazing conversion rate when it comes to uh, other like opportunities afterwards, right? And so what I always told those guys was like, look, um, I mean, you're here for a while. What you need to do is you need to maximize your learning. What I will be asking of you is to focus on one specific topic that might not be what you will do at the for the rest of your life. There might be like analytics, might be sales, it might be like talent sourcing, right? And maybe you're not so excited about it, but it's certainly something that you will learn and you can take uh, into your next role. A lot of those guys afterwards have decided, yeah, okay, I've worked with Max. I saw a lot of um, skills that I myself would like to have. 
and that most likely he learned while being in consulting. So, I mean, actually two of them, one of them is now at BCG in, um, in Singapore and the other one, the BCG in London. Now, I don't know why they went to the competition, but um, so they certainly love that, right? And so for me, like when I talk to a student um, coming right out of university or even while being at university, I typically tell them like gather as many different deep experiences as you can, right? That means work in a startup, work in a consultancy, work in an investment bank, I don't know, work in sales, work in uh, whatever it might be, but something that you can get valuable skills for that are to some extent um, transferable, right? And like even HR and selling, you will encounter whether you're doing a B2B or B2C business, right? So I think it's about the variety and trying to start early. Yeah, I, I think actually that that was um, some advice I did have uh, for them is just sales, right? Because I, I think respectfully to them, I don't think they had developed the soft skills or they hadn't developed their potential in the soft skills to anywhere near where they could have. But I mean, in, in terms of Misto, so, you know, um, you're very focused on, uh, well, it's not focused, you are, you're building out European open payroll. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? And, and what does that mean in terms of your overarching mission as a company? Yeah, so I mean, like, funnily enough, what I did before this, I mean, I, I started a small company and was also venture finance. And we did that uh, at the end of our MBA with two other guys and was in e-mobility, kind of like we did like a, a subscription service for electric vehicles, right? Nowadays, you have a lot of places where you can just like rent your laptop or rent whatever it is. And we did exactly that for electric kick scooters because at the time in Barcelona where, where we studied, study was like the perfect vehicle to get around. There was loads of students who were only there for a specific time period. So for those people, it made sense, made sense renting, right? And so uh, within that, I learned a lot about like, you know, validating customer risk. So we did have some issues with fraud. Um, and one of the key things that we uh, started doing was doing like background checks and checking in particular, like income and employment status, right? Um, and one thing that I learned is, it's pretty difficult to do, right? Because as of today, most people rely on first party data. That's like, hey, Lawrence uh, applies for a loan and then tells me, hey, I work at Rayon. Rayon is doing super well and here's my payslip. Now, it's very difficult for me to verify that that's actually true, right? I mean, uh, you might be able in some cases to even confirm with the employer themselves, but then you need explicit consent. It's not very fast. Or you just rely on the data and you will have some fraudulent candidates right and so this is essentially what we are uh, what we're fixing with misto right i mean we're doing that mainly for the uk market full-time employees and helping them um, get to uh, access financial services in a more easy way and for the other side the people that lend um, that do rental referencing etc uh, to have a better and faster way and more reliable way of verifying um, yeah and so it plays a little bit on my on my previous experience but also there's global trends to have like all of these services digital and streamlined right i mean so with kind of like most services that you see these days they started off with kind of like paper-based processes and everything is becoming more digital right i mean like from a basic crm which maybe 20 years ago they had like i don't know things on paper and folders where it said like hey this is these are the customers this were my last interactions my notes and nowadays you have like salesforce that uh, interact cool. globally right? and that goes up until like verifying people right i mean you have probably done like a digital ig id check before where it said like hey can you please hold your id card here right or your passport right i mean i know in the uk it's not obligatory to have an id even um but that's its own challenge right um and so this can be now done digitally and the same thing will, of course, happen uh, via services like ours, via open banking and others that enable you to access a consumer's uh, financial information with their consent. Yeah, I, I think even in terms of like Rayon, like, you know, there's an element of when people come onto Rayon, they go, oh, it's, it's an, in some aspects like a social media platform. But, you know, again, as we know with social media platforms, um, 
they can very quickly be damaged, right? When people feel they have the freedom to just post whatever they want without any repercussions. And I, I'm an, I, I believe in free speech to the max. Um, at the same time, you know, you want people to be able to take personal responsibility. And one of the ways that we've considered and we've looked at is actually, should we be asking? Because we, we don't need to have a hundred million users, right, on Rayon. You know, we've got a very like small niche segment that we're focused on. And I have actually thought about, you know, do we ask people for ID when they actually sign up? So you can post what you want, go for it. But we want to know who it is, you know? So yeah, I, think, I think it makes a lot of sense, right? And it depends yeah. a little bit on the environment, right? I think for something um, that is B2B, I think a certain amount of credibility, you know, having verified that that person actually represents uh, a certain company um, is, is super valuable, right? I think... Um, you know, a certain level of control is always good, but then again, uh, you're working in in, uh, in a lot of blockchain or with a lot of blockchain businesses, right? And that is mainly about, you know, um, you know, giving uh, the power, so to say, to the market and to the masses uh, without necessarily too much control and believing in that self-regulating system, right? So I think you have to find a balance with that. So, you know, again, and this is why it's interesting in terms of what you're doing. So just this kind of computes in some aspects of like what you're doing in terms of the fact that even with the podcast, we'll have people that will try and get on the podcast and they'll be like, oh, I work for X company, right? And you're, we obviously do our due diligence and we dig and we make sure that we are speaking to someone that actually works for that company before, you know, so you got to be careful. you got to be careful. So, and I, I kind of feel for that actually like we're with Mr. Like what you're doing. Um, there's quite a long way to go with it. I would imagine it's also a quite a big market you're, you're entering into or a growing market rather. Yeah, certainly. I mean, like, look, um, it's a market that we saw developing. It's developing all across the world, right? I mean, like, a little bit with local taste, right? So you have players that do what we do in Asia. You have players that do what we do in India, in uh, in, in Lat. Um, of course, the U United States, in, to a large part, has been, like, you know, a front runner. And, and oftentimes this when it comes to startups, right? But we believe this kind of service will be available uh, within uh, essentially all geographies. Now, the way and what you verify might be very different, right? So, for example, the European market is very traditional, um, you know, very fixed on, you know, tax documentation, very fixed on, you know, original payslips, whereas in other markets where there's much more informal employment, I think like Latam, right, or even in, other, in some like more southeastern, uh, Southeast Asian countries, um, it might be less formal, right? So people might not even receive official payslips. They might just be, you know, uh, a tuk tuk driver uh, in in Indonesia that uh, uses one of those uh, like growing uh, mobility platforms. And what's interesting in those geographies, suddenly like new data can become available through a service like ours. Um, and a lot of players are focusing on this gig and less regulated market where they can provide real-time access um, to uh, like self-employed persons, um, real-time earnings that works in mobility. I mean, think about the Uber drivers. And the interesting thing is in those markets, as of today, those people wouldn't have access to financial services at all, most likely, because a bank would just not underwrite them because there's no reliable source for that information. Oh. And these platforms are becoming that. In Europe, it's a little bit more like, okay, I need your payslip, I need your last tax declaration and, and the like, right? But the digital transmission and the way that this should be accessed by the consumer is very similar. Yeah? And so, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're part of this overall growing wave, right? Kind of like, you know, the spend management cards um, that you have popping up all around the world. I think there's, there's certain waves um, of technology that, that, that will influence 
uh, as globally and in each uh, geography, uh, you will have a different winning players or several winning players. And we, of course, uh, expect to be the one for Europe. So have you ever done sales yourself? Have you ever gone out there and like, sold a product? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, look, I'm the only one on the com on the team that is really part uh, running. Well, I'm the only one who is doing any commercial work, right? I mean, so we're pure, um, essentially, um, tech organization. The rest of the team uh, is engineers, product managers, designers, and the like, mainly engineers, actually. Um, and yeah, I mean, I had to do a lot of sales. And to be fair, it's probably, I mean, it's probably the most satisfying, but also sometimes the, the most frustrating kind of work, right? Because... Um, I mean, sales is a challenge, enterprise sales, maybe even more so, right? Because it's not just yes, no, it's just like different stakeholders and uh, and how and when and like timelines are more difficult. So um, yeah, I, I mean, like I've done a lot of sales. Am I perfect at sales? Definitely not. But, yeah, but I think I'm the not, scale that you get, that get better over time. But I was going to say that like, so, so what, what's, what's interesting is that, again, I, I've never like taken a product and like sold it. But what I do find, like, obviously, with Rayon, I'm I'm the front man in many aspects. I have to go to like the the US market, I go to the European market, and I and I pitch these companies. I try and sell it. And when I'm speaking with with US companies, I'm talking about new software and what you know, new deliverables and new goals and objectives for for the for them and problems that we can help them with, etc. They're very very open to it. When I try and sell in the european market i'm awful i like, fail completely and where i was really going with this is that how open are european clients to something as unique as like what you're doing how open are they to say like you know to this like evolution so i would imagine selling europe's your main market but i would imagine it's probably quite hard to get these companies to really change their way of doing things yeah, I mean, um, like, look, I think it's a, it's definitely a challenge, right? And I, I, as you say, right, I suppose the US market is probably much more um, open when it comes to like trying out new things. And this is probably driven a little bit um, by the fact that um, the US has also seen more success cases, right? Because, I mean, like the more participants you have in any kind of market that have been participating in building something new, have seen the challenges, have then seen the success, and then are maybe later in the buyer position, are much more accepting of like, you know, I've done it, right? And so we're not necessarily yet, I think, at the stage of kind of maturity of the ecosystem where we have that level of, um, you know, acceptance, right? But it would come, it would just take time, right? Because I mean, like, it's kind of like this generational change and like Silicon Valley just started a couple of uh, years earlier than maybe, you know, Silicon, uh, what used to be, or maybe still is called Silicon Roundabout in London, right? And I think the UK is probably um, the most innovative and the most open when it comes to innovation, right? I mean, this is also oh, what you see really? in the VC funding numbers. Yes, definitely, definitely. Oh, I mean, I can, just, I can just tell you the comparison, Germany versus the UK. And one, Germany is less digitized. German yeah. clients are probably more conservative than UK clients are. I'm still not saying UK is perfect, but no. I think it's still like this, and you, you really see a little bit the Anglo section, section, uh, section culture there, vis-a-vis um, -vis kind of like the con continental European one, which is like a little bit more traditional. Right, but I, I, I agree with you in terms of the fact that the, you know, the, the UK is possibly, 
more open-minded than the German market. And again, you know, look, most of our team, or a lot of our team rather, um, are, are based in Germany. And again, I can see like the cultural changes and attitudes, even in terms of like uh, approaching business. But the UK and Europe as a whole is, in terms of software, is nowhere in uh, near where, where the US is. And I think that the challenge is like, then, so apologies, they're not open to being sold to in the way that the US market is. When you speak to US companies, they're like, hey, we'll try it out. We're interested. Like, you know, they're quite encouraging. In the UK, and I can't speak for Germany on this, but in the UK, companies are very quick to just like close you down. And I think that, yeah. that that's possibly the challenge. Yeah, 100%, right? I mean, like, look, um, compared to the US, I mean, like, the European markets, including the UK, are nowhere near that level of adoption. I realize it a lot also in the inbound sales that I get um, from uh, US companies, right? I mean, the conversation is just like much more, you know, honest. And they're like, hey, if this is not for you, let's start the conversation. No hard feelings. Let's move on, right? And I think it's part of that, that American kind of like spirit of like, you know, commercial is good. Let's go for it. Yes and no. And if not, then let's move on. Whereas I think uh, here we have a little bit more of this, also this fear of saying no, right? Um, I think like, I think US companies and US buyers would be much more inclined to just say like, yeah, it sounds kind of cool, but it's just not for us. Yeah, bye bye. Yeah. And like, I think we get a lot of this, like where people don't want to classify themselves out because they think like they're rude. Um, where it's right. like this politeness, cultural politeness, like, hey, like saying no to someone and like really saying them that it's not for them is something bad. Even though like, to be fair, what I do nowadays, I'm like so plain honest, I get an inbound and immediately like, hey, look, not for us ever or not for us at the yeah. moment, yeah. takes me back in six months, right? And yeah. uh, like a lot of times that kind of clarity is a lot more hard, I think, to get in Europe. Interesting. So one, one thing that is really hard to get in Europe and that you guys have achieved is seed funding as early as you got it. So. I've got, got a, just one thing in terms of control and raising capital. How much control do you have to give up when you raise that much money so early on? Well, I, I mean, I mean, like, look, I think any kind of business that raises outside capital will have to play uh, according to the incentives of that outside capital, right? In which in venture capital is one, sure. make it big or go home and uh, make it big or go home and that relatively fast. Those are kind of like time and scale are typically kind of like the, the, the determining criteria, right? Because otherwise, otherwise, like you don't get any outside capital, so you don't get that speed, but you also don't get the pressure. Um, in terms of control, right? I think like, look, um, in our case, at least, we are uh, very autonomous um, in any kind of operational decisions, even financial decisions, hiring decisions. I mean, of course, there is things um, that we need to align with the board, right? I mean, like, I can't just increase my salary, but fair enough. I mean, that's just good uh, corporate governance and I wouldn't expect anything less, even if it was like a family company, right? And so, um, I mean, in terms of control, uh, very few. I mean, we have not really faced any decisions where we were like, hey, we would have done this, but our, our, our investors wanted why, right? I think what investors do very well is, I mean, first of all, they have just seen a lot of situations, right? They've seen a lot of fundraisings. They have a lot of, uh, seen a lot of failures, a lot of companies being successful and different uh, varieties to that, right? So they do bring some outside experience. I mean, they're certainly not going to fix sales for you, right? I mean, that's your job, right? I mean, if you can't sell your own product. That's interesting though, because I, I, I agree with you. If you can't sell your own product, you're going to get found out. But what's interesting is that I think a lot of people very early on, they look to raise money 
thinking the VC is going to help them with sales. And I mean, like, look, maybe even uh, like even I thought like, hey, it would be super great to find someone like that. And like, of course, you search for it. Right. Sometimes you find them or not. Right. But it needs to be very specific. Right. And it also really depends on, on your product. Right. Um, so, for example, if you sell SaaS solutions to uh, that at the beginning can be very well used by another startup. Well, I mean, getting a startup uh, like a, a VC with a lot of startups in their portfolio is the best angle because they put you on the list of companies with benefits. They make you the intros to kind of like three other founders. They're like, okay, have in there. Uh, I will be your first client. So that that really also depends a little bit on, on what kind of uh, what kind of VC you have and what kind of product you sell, right? I mean, in our case, it's a niche. Well, it's not a niche market, right? But it's a more traditional market, right? We're talking to lenders, we're talking to banks. Um, this is, uh, it's a market that is not necessarily the kind of like where every VC is best connected, right? Yeah. I mean, they're very well connected with other VCs, yeah. other startups, um, potentially with some of the LPs, right? Um, and that you can look at, right? Some of the some of the VCs have very strong limited partner profile that can be very beneficial, but really look, you need to look at uh, what they can help with. Do, do you know? So do you know what we've started doing? Um, we've started like really like um, building Rayon like in the open, and we upload our meetings and everything, the podcast obviously to 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 the Rayon platform. Um, but in addition to that, we've started like speaking about like um, we've started like what was I going to say? I've lost my train of thought here. I've completely lost my train of thought. But I was going to say that. Um, you know, we started like just really like encouraging the VCs to come on and speak with the founders on the platform and just almost being like, look, this is what we can do for you. This is what we can't do for you. And I've seen it as an opportunity to go to the VCs now and be like, you work with a thousand startups. Tell you what, we'll do it. We'll give you a discount on the product, but just sell our product into a hundred of your companies and we'll test it for like 12 months. And that seems to be quite an interesting like proposition. Uh, yeah, and I mean, like, look, uh, VCs can well be perfect uh, yeah. uh, distribution partners. It just really depends on, on what you do, right? I mean, look, I think one thing is different, though, right? I mean, not in Europe. I would say there is a fair share of uh, VCs that have been operators before, at least at some point. Not necessarily always, you know, like founders themselves, right? But I think a lot of them do add significant um, value, right? And even if it's not like super operational, right? I mean, they are your thought partner, right? And they are the people that like kind of are there to be like your mirror when you might not want to, you know, want to see the real, the real reality, right? When you see yourself a little bit more beautiful than you might uh, actually be. Um, and so I think having that value or having them uh, in itself does provide uh, significant value, at least in our case it does. And 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 for for, for Misto, like obviously, you know, your mission is very much to make payroll more open, more accessible to these companies. Um, like, what are the challenges that you are finding, like right now, given given the current market? Well, I mean, like, look, I, building a company like ours certainly not easy, um, or not certainly not easier than than building another business, right? Um, challenges of the current market, right? I, I mean, like, look, operationally, they are probably very similar um, to, to what you had maybe a year ago, right? When everybody was on full hype, right? Um, like, look, essentially, the like, how do you bring customers on board fully, right? How do you get that buy-in, right? How do you build product? How do you hire people? Now, some of those operational challenges might have gone down, right? Um, for example, finding great talent now is probably much easier than it was 12 months ago. Um, 
Okay, yeah. Now, the current market puts a lot of pressure on a lot of people that might create other dynamics. In some cases, it might create cost pressures, which could, in theory, be nice, for example, for us, because we're turning something that is today oftentimes done by hand into something that is done by software and automatized. Right. So um, that that is interesting. I mean, like what certainly got a lot harder. Right. And I think everybody is aware of that is fundraising. Right. I mean, the point that you alluded to. Right. I mean, you, you raised a lot of money. Right. Maybe you, you had to give up some control, um, which I think in our case that, that it's like you give up as much control as you just have external capital in the business. Um, but certainly fundraising, at least that's from what we hear and what we see when talking to uh, to others, to investors, etc., is it's a lot more hard to raise money. Yeah, right? companies um, are struggling now in the way to raise yeah. money in the way that and, and, and it is clear, right? Because it's just, you know, because the economic situation is uh, a little bit more dire, right? Yeah. Or at least the interest rate environment is like much higher. That means um, the alternatives for the pension fund, so that limited partner of your venture capitalist, most likely doesn't have as much pressure or will not have as much pressure in three years to put the next 200 million into the next VC because maybe they just say like, hey, uh, US government bonds give me, I don't know, guaranteed return of seven, eight percent. I actually don't even know what today's interest rate are. So that shows you like from an operator's perspective, like how, you know, directly relevant interest rates are to me. I mean, I see the global environment, but I don't know exactly the rate. Three and a half percent in the UK, I believe at the moment. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, like for, for some of our customers might be a little bit uh, different, right? I mean, we work with lenders and for them, every single point has, a, has an effect. And so, yeah, I think like, you know, fundraising is certainly a lot harder. It uh, depends on what you're selling. It will also be a lot harder because, so for example, events, right? I mean, we, we just like reduce the, the events that we attend or how we attend them, right? And so that means like all these big conferences, all of these inbound things that you get all the time, maybe we're just going to attend a few of those, right? And that just reflects on all of these plays. It would just be a lot harder for them to kind of like get figures like they got last year when probably every single uh, seed startup would have said like, yeah, yeah, I will be there tomorrow. I need to be there, right? And now people are making more trade-offs into what is really relevant for me and what is a little bit more hype. See, it's interesting you mentioned events because so we're actually running our first um, corporate event in, in a few months in Canary Wharf in London. And I've got to be honest, it's something whereby, you know, as long as you have the right attendees, you know, let other people just, they, they flock to it. And I actually think, if anything, that next year, I, th I think more companies are going to invest more money in events to try and, like, nab the talent that is, is currently available on the market, you know? So there's a lot of really talented people out there right now that are open to work. 100%, 100%, right? I mean, I, I'm not disagreeing with that, right? But it just might also be like, look, a lot of companies have said, like, hey, Kind of like if you reached a good size or maybe you need to downsize a little bit right and so maybe that pressure to hire is not as high right so like it, you they won't be forced to do so it doesn't mean that every single event will like be down 30 percent, right and there will be a lot of new ones launched but then again it will be very much about the niche and the value proposition that you bring right i mean we make exactly right. those decisions to be, before we might have gone to more generalist events yeah to be fair to a startup right i mean we're iterating we're seeing what works and what doesn't and yeah. now we would be much more precise because we know this really works and this is where I want to put my resources and this doesn't, right? And so I would maybe take less of bets, right? Than the surefire things. I get you, I get you. And in, in terms of like the future for Misto, where, where's this going? Well, like, look, I mean, um, you, you have kind of like blueprints from, uh, from similar 
are markets with similar dynamics. When you look at, for example, open banking, right? Um, you have a couple of key players that, that win across Europe, um, not necessarily in every geography, but that are kind of like, you know, the, the, the champions within that field. And now also though, those are its rating, right? And it's a little bit our vision, right? I mean, for now, we're really focused on the UK and, and, and perfecting the business model there, right? I mean, we have with great leads from other geographies, right? But at the moment, our, our perspective is really focused is what is key. Um, and then when we believe we're ready, and this is probably in the next next two years um expand that to different geographies right i mean so like building that european champion in what we're doing is really um uh like what vision we have with mr well i'm looking to yeah looking forward to seeing it i've got to say that you've, you've got quite an interesting team i saw on your team page that one of your colleagues a fun fact uh, he's 89 percent sure that he's seen he's seen a ufo so uh, yeah, I don't know. Like we have a lot of we have a lot of geeky people in the team, right? I and mean, you can't imagine our team discussions are always hilarious. Um, so we have a I lot of people that. that are very much into uh, anime and the like, right? Uh, I mean, like even I myself enjoy it quite a bit. I mean, I'm I'm maybe not as at the level as some of the others are, right? Um, so uh, yeah, we we have a lot of funny conversations and like right. very interesting facts about people. Do you know what I was going to say, but it's nice though, right? Because one thing we talk about is like, you know, obviously like you're, you're selling through your values. And again, like even that, your team page on your on your website, I mean, you're, you're, you're showing insight into the team and who they are uh, on a very like human level, which is very, very cool. Yeah, right. I mean, like I think, um, and I mean, this is like both for partners as well as, uh, uh, as in future team members, right? I mean, building a company in remote is a, is a challenge, right? And so you need to have a good environment where people enjoy themselves, right? Our philosophy is a little bit um, like remote first has a lot of benefits, right? So uh, most of us work from home most of the day, right? I mean, some people work from co-working spaces and the like, and, and, and we support that. Um, but like building relationships is vital, right? Because I mean, every, every startup has, has a risk of failure, right? And so there's a couple of things that you will take away from that, right? I mean, one, the professional growth, like what things you've learned, what things you've tried, what errors you've made. Um, and secondly, what kind of relationships you've built, right? I mean, uh, and, uh, I think every startup tries to build that, that spirit that kind of like prevails um, or that community that prevails even beyond the startup, right? I mean, you see it with really the unicorn companies um, where you have like, all of these prior guys that were at, I don't know, uh, Zalando in Germany, like having built, then gone out and built their own successful companies, right? And that is a lot of times just because they built this network while being there of other people, other operators, people with other skills that they can then use in, in their next role. And so we try to, to make that fun. And one part of that fun is like, I mean, we want to have great professionals, but we want to have people that are also, you know, funny to be with, that you learn something from, that have different perspectives. I mean, like, for example, we have one guy that swam on the national team, right? And like, That's it's cool. not something that, that you would figure out on, on the first meeting, right? Um, so like, there, there, there's a lot of things that, oh, that might be apparent on the first interview, right? I'll ask random questions on the first interview. So, so one thing I'll ask everyone, and, and I probably giving away here because I'll just ask them like what they love like you know I I, I think it's very attractive when you're like when you uh, hire someone and you find that there's something in their life that they're overly passionate about or at least they've got that capacity to be passionate because if they do then of course you know that can translate into into their work and in, into you know into your company as well yeah I mean like definitely I think um 
you know, that, that bottom part of the CV is probably always the most interesting. That being said, there's a lot of people who don't put it in the, on their CV and you only figure out later. And like, I mean, of course, the first criteria for any kind of hire is that they're a great professional and we, we test that rigorously, but you tend to have a good correlation of the people that are excellent at their job tend to also have typically done other interesting things, right? Do you read the CVs though? Um, yeah, I mean, like we, we check them. I mean, we, I don't check them line item, but like, for example, we, when we check, someone says like, they've been uh, studying at XYZ University and did XYZ master, like we do get a confirmation after that. Yeah. I mean, like also from compliance perspective, we always get a confirmation that that is true. Um, yeah. And um, not every detail, right? I mean, in particular for tech roles, it's a, it's a bit more difficult, like it's more yeah. high level. And it's more about the actual interview where where we where you figure out their skills and the way they could contribute to the team. Um, but yeah, we do check the CVs, right? And there's a lot that you can gather from them, right? Oh, I, I'm awful with CVs. I'll glance at it for like ten seconds, and if you know, if I think there's something in there, I'll just pick up the phone to them. I'll just phone them. From my perspective, I have to really like uh, speak to the individual to like really get a feel for. You can clearly not hire anyone based on their CV, right? But it's certainly like a thing that we that we look at, right? And it's a good conversation starter also when you have that conversation then. Yeah, no, that's true. Well, look, I, I've got to say, like, it's you know, it's it's interesting what you guys are doing. Um, it's actually amazing because it's in many aspects, it's a very competitive industry, and you've just come out the gates, and you know, you're growing very, very quickly um and yeah so it will it'll be exciting to see what, what you guys do next yeah definitely thanks um i mean like we're certainly not where we want to be yet but uh i think we're in a good path no like you see for, for a company that's a year and a half old i'm you're, you're kind of killing it so yeah but look honestly max it's been great having this opportunity to speak with you so thank you so much and uh yeah thanks we'll, a lot for we'll have time. To see where this goes thanks max thanks a lot lawrence